Lord, we love you and we thank you for your great and amazing grace. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, that he came and he lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross for our sins, and he rose again, proving his victory. And we, we get to sit here and worship you and rejoice because of what he's done for each of us. Pray, Father, that you would guide our time in your word this evening. Speak to us through it, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we looked at the man of God who was given a message for Jeroboam. Jeroboam became king of the north, uh, the ten tribes of northern Israel, while Rehoboam, Solomon's son, remained in power uh, over Judah, and then Benjamin joined with them. Um, Jeroboam immediately disobeys God because he's afraid of losing his power, and he sets up the two golden calves. And we read last week about the man of God who came and told him that you know he was wrong, and now he was going to lose the kingdom, and Jeroboam refused to repent. Of course, then the man of God uh, disobeyed God himself and died. Um, but this week, we're going to begin to look at the cycle of kings in both Israel and Judah. There will be about nine different dynasties in the northern kingdom. Uh, many of those regime changes will be violent. Uh, in the southern kingdom, we will continue with David's line as God had promised to David before he died. Some of the kings in Judah are going to do a good job. Some of them are going to do a really bad job. Now, they're not going to be as bad as the kings in the northern kingdom, where not one king in the northern kingdom ever does what is right in the sight of the Lord. And that's why we see all these regime changes, uh, because there, there's treason, assassination. We're, if we get through 16, we'll see a little bit of it tonight. Um, and it all started, right? Just like the southern kingdom started, uh, the whole split started because of Solomon's disobedience. The northern kingdom uh, has a very violent few hundred years, uh, starting with Jeroboam's disobedience. So with that, 1 Kings chapter 14, verse 1. At that time, Abijah, the son of Jeroboam, became sick. And Jeroboam said to his wife, please arise and disguise yourself that they may not recognize you as the wife of Jeroboam and go to Shiloh. Indeed, Ahijah the prophet is there, who told me that I would be king over this people. Also, take with you ten loaves, some cakes, a jar of honey, and go to him. He will tell you what will become of the child. And Jeroboam's wife did so. She arose and went to Shiloh and came to the house of Ahijah. But Ahijah could not see, for his eyes were glazed by reason of his age. We don't exactly know what glazed there means, um, it may be, uh, it's suggested that it may have been some form of cataract, right? They didn't have cataract procedures back then. Um, now, verse 5, the Lord said to Ahijah, here is the wife of Jeroboam coming to ask you something about her son, for he is sick. Thus and thus you shall say to her, for it will be when she comes in that she will pretend to be another woman. And so it was when Ahijah heard the sound of her footsteps as she came through the door, he said, Come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why do you pretend to be another person? For I have been sent to you with bad news. I love that. That is just so cool to me, right? She's all dressed in some kind of 
get up to make her unrecognizable. And she walks in and she sees the blind man sitting there and he's like, hey, Jeroboam's wife. At that point, I'm thinking she would have been a little freaked out. Verse 7, go tell Jeroboam, thus says the Lord God of Israel, because I exalted you from among the people and made you ruler over my people Israel and tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you. And yet you have not been as my servant David, who kept my commandments and who followed me with all his heart to do only what was right in his eyes or in my eyes, sorry. But you have done more evil than all who were before you. That is not the last time we're going to hear that statement tonight. For you have gone and made yourself other gods and molded images to provoke me to anger and have cast me behind your back. Therefore, behold, I will bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam and will cut off from Jeroboam every male in Israel, bond and free. I will take away the remnant of the house of Jeroboam as one takes away refuse until it is all gone. The dogs shall eat whoever belongs to Jeroboam and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field, for the Lord has spoken. Now that phrase, the dogs and the birds, it's just, there's nowhere you can go where this judgment won't find you, is, is essentially what that, right? Oh, if you think you stay in the city, you'll be safe, then the dogs are going to eat you. Oh, so you think you can run into the field? Fine. The birds will eat you. Um, verse 12, arise, therefore, go to your own house. When your feet enter the city, the child shall die. And all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him. For he is the only one of Jeroboam who shall come to the grave. Because in him there is found something good toward the Lord God of Israel in the house of Jeroboam. Now we're going to stop there. The prophecy continues through verse 18. But this is fascinating to me. So essentially, Ahijah pronounces judgment on the house of Jeroboam. You've disobeyed me. You and all of the men in your house, all of everybody in your house, really, there will be, I will bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam. It does say every male in Israel, uh, right? They're all going to die. There will be no continuation of the family because of your disobedience. Then we get to verse 13. Verse 13, and I'm going to read it again. And all Israel shall mourn for him, right? He said the child will die. All Israel shall mourn for him and bury him, for he is the only one of Jeroboam who shall come to the grave, because in him there is found something good toward the Lord God of Israel in the house of Jeroboam. That phrase there, come to the grave, means he's the only one that will die a non-violent death. That's the idea there. So, we do not know how old the child is. This word in Hebrew is um, ambiguous because it can mean everything from an infant to an adolescent. And different cultures count adolescents different than other cultures. But in Judaism, you were a man when you turned 13. So my best guess is he was at least under 13 years old. Best guess. Don't, you know, that's, I don't know. Could have been a young child. Could have been, you know, two, three, four years old. And God basically says, I'm going to allow him to die 
Because in him there is found something good toward the Lord God of Israel. He's the only one in the house of Jeroboam who I found anything good in. So God's going to allow him to die and not suffer a violent end that will come to the rest of the house. He's going to let the child die so he won't suffer the coming judgment that his father brought upon his own house. Now, if you're anything like me, this verse is hard. I know what it means. I know what, what's being said here. I don't think this verse is, is unclear. I just have a hard time with it. Because what it means, in the end, is that God allowed this child to die to spare the child a violent end later on. And we're, we're going to see it, not before long, uh, the person, uh, I think it's either the person after Jeroboam or two after him, kills everybody in his household. And that's a few years go by, so if this child hadn't died, he would have been there when that happened. So I'm going to read a couple verses and I'm going to make a statement and, and we're going to move on because I don't want to dwell on this for too long. I just want you all to know that I sat at my desk and looked at this verse for a while and went, I have a, I, I'm struggling with this verse. Now, Romans 8, 28 that we know, right? We know that all those or all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. All things means all things, the good, the bad, the things we rejoice over, the things that are tragic. God uses it all, right? There's a saying that floats around that God never wastes a hurt. He uses it all for our good. Then I threw Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 in there. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. There are many times when things happen that we don't understand. Sometimes these things are horrible, or tragic, or painful. When we don't know, we fall back on what we do know. And here's what we know. We know that God's ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are higher than ours. We know that God will work all things for our good. We might not understand it. We might not like it. It may be painful. And we may question over and over again why something like that would happen. And the truth is, I don't have the answer. But God does. And even when he doesn't tell us why, we can trust that his why is always good. I know I've told this story before, uh, but one of the hardest things I've ever gone through as a pastor uh, was sitting, spending three days in a hospital with a close friend of ours whose son had accidentally been shot. And uh, I'm not going to get into all the details because I think I've, I've told it before. And if, 
you don't remember, you can ask me later. Um, but I remember sitting there asking God, how? How will you bring good out of this? I don't see it. You know, and that was got to be, what, eight years ago now? Yeah, it was about eight years ago. I still haven't gotten the answer to that question. Three months later, uh, and him and his wife adopted the, the, the three boys, and it was the middle one who was shot and, and did pass away, was what, three months later, her husband died. I don't know why. I, I can't answer that question. And what I'm very grateful for is they were strong believers. They still are. Um, they didn't ask me. Right? They never looked at me and said, why? Because I would have looked back and said, I have no idea. But this is what I do know. God is sovereign. God is good. And whatever he does, even if it looks awful, from our perspective, or whatever he allows, even if it looks awful from our perspective, he can use it. And that, that's an incredible thing for us to really to, to place our faith in. Verse 14. Moreover, the Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel. Who shall cut off the house of Jeroboam? This is the day. What? Even now. For the Lord will strike Israel as a reed is shaken in the water. He will uproot Israel from this good land which he gave to their fathers and will scatter them beyond the river because they have made their wooden images provoking the Lord to anger. And he will give Israel up. Because of the sins of Jeroboam, who sinned and who made Israel sin, then Jeroboam's wife arose and departed and came to Tirzah, where she, when she came to the threshold of the house, the child died. And they buried him, and all Israel mourned for him, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through the servant Ahijah, the prophet. And so not only does he continue that Jeroboam, that he's going to raise up another king, he tells him as soon as she gets home, the child will die. But then he speaks of something that won't happen for a couple hundred years at least. And that's Israel going into captivity. Now Israel went into captivity a while before the southern kingdom of Judah. Um, but nevertheless, it's prophesied here. Because of what Jeroboam did a few hundred years down the road, Israel's going to go into captivity. Verse 19. Now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam, how he made war and how he reigned. Indeed, they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. The period that Jeroboam reigned was 22 years, so he rested with his fathers, and then Nadab, his son, reigned in his place. Now, the chronicles of the kings of Israel, we're going to see that mentioned multiple times as we continue on. First and second kings jumps back and forth between the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. When we get to what we have in our Bibles as first and second chronicles, our first and second chronicles is actually the chronicles of the kings of Judah. So there is another book that we do not possess called the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. And we'll talk a lot more about this when we get to Judah or when we get to, sorry, to first chronicles. Um, but we did not need the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. 
that is actually not important to us as followers of Christ or to the rest of Scripture. We had to have the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah because the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah contain the genealogies that connect King David to Jesus. So that's why they're included in our scriptures. We didn't need the, the other ones. But like I said, we'll get more to that later on. Verse 21. And Rehoboam, so we're back in Judah. Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was 40 years old when he became king. He reigned 17 years in Jerusalem. Uh, the city which the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was Naamah and Ammonites, right? Uh, and the Ammonites were people that were supposed to be thrown out of the land. Uh, now Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins which they committed, more than all that their fathers had done. For they also built for themselves high places, sacred pillars, wooden images on every hill and under every green tree. And there were also perverted persons in the land. Uh, real quick, the, the perverted persons statement that's, that's listed there, um, it literally speaks of um, uh, religious prostitution, which was very, very popular uh, among the ancient religions. Um, and they would often have prostitutes. And, you, you know, uh, you go to a normal church and maybe they pass a plate or they have a box in the back and you put your money in. Well, the way the, the religious, what of these false religions, the way they made money is they sold sex. And so you would come to, to worship your false god and you'd pay for sex and that money would go in the kitty for the false temple or the false altar or whatever else it was. Um, now, specifically being spoken of here were male prostitutes that were often... Um, they, they did not, the women did not avail themselves of them, other men did. Uh, but yeah, just so you know what that phrase is there for. And they did all kinds of abominations, uh, according to all the abominations of the nations, which the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. It happened in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem and he took away the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king's house, and he took away everything. He also took away all the gold shields which Solomon had made. Then King Rehoboam made bronze shields in their place and committed them to the hands of the captains of the guard who guarded the doorway of the king's house. And whenever the king entered the house of the Lord, the guards carried them and brought them back into the guardroom. Now the rest of the acts of Rehoboam, all they did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? And they are, and we will study them at greater length when we get there. And there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all their days. So Rehoboam rested with his fathers. He was buried with his fathers in the city of David. His mother's name, again, was Naamah, the Ammonitess. Then Abijam, his son, reigned in his place. Um, kind of interesting uh, that we had an Abijah, the son of Jeroboam, and then Abijam, the son of uh, Rehoboam. Their names are very similar. So there you go. That's the end of Rehoboam. Right? He, the kingdom split under him, constantly at war with Jeroboam. Shishak comes up and takes everything. Now remember, Solomon's fame had spread throughout the world. And Jeroboam, when Solomon wanted to kill him, ran to Egypt and Shishak took care of him. So no doubt, Jeroboam told Shishak about all the wealth that was in Jerusalem. 
Now, while Solomon was reigning, Shishak wasn't dumb enough to go up there and try to take it. But now, wait a second. The kingdom is split. Rehoboam's rule is hanging by a thread. The northern kingdom is in utter chaos. I'm going to go make me some money. And he marches up to Jerusalem. And do you remember we talked about it? Billions upon billions of dollars worth of gold. And Shishak took it all. Kind of sad. Okay, not kind of sad. Really sad. Verse 15. Sorry, not verse 15. Chapter 15. In the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, Abijam began to reign over Judah. Um, I would highly recommend, if you feel like it, find yourself a good biblical timeline to see how these kings overlap. Because to try to do it verbally is really annoying. Um, but there's a lot of overlapping. And... Um, so verse 2, uh, poor Abijam only lasted three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Ma'aka, the granddaughter of Ab Abishalom. And he walked in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him. His heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, and as was the heart of his father David. Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord of his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem by setting up his son after him and by establishing Jerusalem. Because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and not turned aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. I kind of like that little per right? David was awesome. Well, he committed adultery and murdered a guy and lied about it and tried to cover it up. But, you know, besides that, David did a great job. I don't know why that tickles me so. Um, and there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all the days of his life. Now the rest of the acts of Abijam and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? They are. And there was war between Abijam and Jeroboam, and Abijam rested with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. Then Asa, his son, reigned in his place. So this is why we're going to get through chapter three chapters. What do you want me to say? <laughs> right? Yay, Rehoboam's son, Abijam, right? He, he reigned. He did awful. He died. That's, that's what we're talking about here, right? So we get to verse 9. In the 20th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, remember he reigned 22 years. So now Jeroboam has outlasted Rehoboam. He's outlasted um, Abijam, right? That's the guy we just talked about. <laughs> and now he is still king when Asa becomes king. Um, and he reigned 41 years in Jerusalem, right? Asa. His grandmother's name was Ma'aka, the granddaughter of Abishalom. Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as did his father David. Woohoo! So he banished all the perverted persons from the land, right? All the, all the temple prostitution he removed uh, and removed all the idols that his father had made. He also removed Ma'aka, his grandmother, from being queen mother because she had made an obscene image of Asherah. And Asa cut down her obscene image and burned it in the brook Kidron, or by the brook Kidron, which is really fascinating to me, right? Asa didn't know this, but we know this. The brook Kidron was the brook that Jesus crossed over on his way to Gethsemane. The brook Kidron is the brook that would run red with the blood of the sacrifices at the time of Passover. So I find that quite fascinating, that he burned this obscene image there, right? What a good king. He even threw his grandma out. Verse 14, but the high places were not removed. Nevertheless, Asa's heart was loyal to the Lord all his days. 
He also brought into the house of the Lord the things which his father had dedicated and the things which he himself had dedicated, silver and gold and utensils. Now there was war between Asa and Basha, king of Israel, all their days. And Basha, right, so all of a sudden, right, wait, whoa, whoa, when did Basha become king? We'll get there. Um, and Basha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah that he might let none go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. And Asa took all the silver and gold that was left in the treasuries of the house of the Lord. Wait a second, didn't he dedicate that stuff to the Lord? In the treasuries of the king's house, and he delivered them into the hands of his servants. And Asa sent them to Ben-Hadad, the son of Tibrimon, the son of Hezion, king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus, saying, Let there be a treaty between you and me. As there was between my father and your father, see, I've sent you a present of silver and gold. Come and break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. So Benadad heeded King Asa, right? He's got great loyalty, right? I've got a treaty with Basha. You sent me gold. Fine, I'll, I'll attack Basha and make your life easier. And so he sent the captains of his armies against the city of Israel, and he attacked Aijon, Dan, Abelmeth, Maaka, and all Chinneroth, with all the land of Naphtali. And it happened, when Basha heard it, that he stopped building Ramah and remained in Tirzah. And King Asa made a proclamation throughout all Judah. None was exempted. And they took all the stones of timber from Ramah, which Basha had used for building. And with them, King Asa built Geba of Benjamin and Mizpah. The rest of the acts of Asa, all that he did, uh, all his might, all that he did, and the cities that he built, are they not written in the chronicles of the kings of Judah? Yes, they are. But in the time of his old age, he was diseased in his feet. So Asa rested with his fathers, and he was buried with his fathers in the city of David. His father, then Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his place. Now, Asa, Asa, however you want to say it, he started off really good, didn't he? Got rid of the high places, kicked grandma out, burned the obscene image. And then Basha attacks him from the north. And what does he do? Well, instead of, we have, we have no record here that he sought the Lord. We have no record that he went into the temple and asked God to deal with Basha. No, instead he bribed another guy to break his treaty. And when you get, when we get up to First Chronicles, and it talks about this disease in his feet, it says that he sought all the physicians of the land. But again, no record that he sought after the Lord. So he did such a good job trusting in the Lord at the beginning of his reign. And later on, not so much. Now, verse 25, we're going back to the north. Nadab, the son of Jeroboam, became king over Israel in the second year of Asa, king of Judah. And he reigned over Israel two years. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in his sin, by which he made Israel sin. Then Basha, right? So now we know where Basha came from. The son of Ahijah of the house of Issachar, conspired against him, and Basha killed him at Gibbethon, which belonged to the Philistines, while Nadab and all Israel laid siege to Gibbethon. Basha killed him in the third year of Asa, king of Judah, and reigned in his place. And it was so, when he became king, that he killed all the house of Jeroboam. He did not leave to Jeroboam anyone that breathed until he had destroyed him, according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken by his servant Ahijah, the Shilonite. Because of his sin, because of the sins of Jeroboam, which he had sinned, and by which he had made Israel sin, because of his provocation, with which he had provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger. Now, the rest of the acts of Nadab and all that he did, are they not written in the chronicles of the kings of Israel? We're going to take your word for it. 
And there was war between Asa and Basha, king of Israel, all their days. Verse 33. Now we're actually going to kind of move a little bit into chapter 16 here. In the third year of Asa, king of Judah, Basha, the son of Ahijah, became king over all Israel in Tirzah, and he reigned 24 years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of Jeroboam and in his sin by which he had made Israel sin. Then the word of the Lord came to Jehu, the son of Hanani, against Basha, saying, Inasmuch as I lift you out of the dust and made you ruler over my people Israel, and you and walked in the ways of Jeroboam and have made my people Israel sin to provoke me to anger with their sins, surely I will take away the posterity of Basha and the posterity of his house, and I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. The dogs shall eat whoever belongs to Basha and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the fields. Now the rest of the acts of Basha, what he did, his might, are they not written in the books of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? And Basha rested with his fathers and was buried in Tirzah. Then Elah his son reigned in his place. Also the word of the Lord came by the prophet Jehu, the son of Hanani, against Basha and his house because of all the evil that he did in the sight of the Lord and provoking him to anger with the work of his hands and being like the house of Jeroboam and because he killed them. Now that is fascinating to me. One of the reasons that God punished Basha was for killing all the people of of Jeroboam's house, even though God had ordered or prophesied that that would take placement as a judgment on Jeroboam's house. But we talked about this a little while back uh, when we were in chapter 11. And if you weren't here for that, I highly recommend you go listen to it uh, because we delved into how God is sovereign. Yet we are still responsible for our actions, um, which is very interesting to me. Now, one thing I do want to note as we get to the end of verse or the end of chapter 15 and into the beginning of verse 16 or chapter 16. Wow, I keep doing that. God is still speaking. He's speaking here through Jehu, the son of Hanani, uh, on a couple different occasions. The problem was the kings of the north were not listening. God was still trying. And when God was trying, there was an opportunity for them to repent. Unfortunately, they never did. And it always astounds me when I read the book of Jeremiah. There's three places in Jeremiah. Chapter 7, verse 16. Then Jeremiah 11, verse 14. Then Jeremiah 14, verse 11. Convenient where God told Jeremiah not to pray for Judah because he was done with them and judgment was coming. There came a point where God told Jeremiah, it's over. Don't pray for them. They're not going to listen. Doesn't matter what you do. It's over. Jeremiah had a hard time with that. He kept coming back to God. But here God was still speaking to the northern kingdom. They just refused to listen. In Hebrews 4, 7, we're given this exhortation. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. God is still speaking today. He's speaking through his word. He's speaking through his spirit into the hearts of people. Romans 1 even tells us that he speaks through creation. So does Psalm 19, by the way. He is speaking, warning, calling, and offering hope and salvation in Jesus Christ. Far too few people are listening. So we pick up in verse 8 
of chapter 16. Now, we're going to read through this pretty quickly because the story remains the same. We have uh, the rest of chapter 16 is all kings in Israel. They all do a terrible job. And then they croak and the next king does worse. So verse 8, in the 26th year of Asa, king of Judah, Elah, the son of Basha, became king over Israel, and he reigned two years in Tirzah. Now his servant Zimri, commander of half his chariot, so he was a military commander, conspired against him as he was in Tirzah, drinking himself drunk in the house of Arza, steward of his house in Tirzah. So we got Elah. He's at home. Actually, he's at a friend's house, getting drunk. And Zimri decides, yeah, I'm tired of this guy. So Zimri went in and struck him and killed him in the 27th year of Asa, king of Judah, and reigned in his place. Then it came to pass, when he began his reign, as soon as he was seated on the throne, that he killed all the household of Basha. He did not leave him one male, neither of his relatives nor of his friends. Thus Zimri destroyed all the household of Basha, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke against Basha by Jehu the prophet. For all the sins of Basha and the sins of Elah his son, by which they had sinned, and by which they had made Israel sin in provoking the Lord God of Israel to anger with their idols. Now the rest of the acts of Elah and all that they did, they are written in the chronicles of the kings of Israel. So we've talked about this before. I'm going to mention it and we're going to move forward. How do we know when a prophet is a true prophet? Their prophecy comes true. So we know Jehu, the son of Hanani, is a true prophet because he says, uh, your whole household is going to be wiped out. And here we are a few years down the line. And that's what happens. So his prophecy came to pass. Um, verse 15. In the 27th year of Asa, king of Judah, Zimri had reigned in Tirzah seven days. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why that's funny. Um, and the people were encamped against uh, Gibbethon, which belonged to the Philistines. Now the people who were encamped heard it. Zimri had conspired and also killed the king. So all Israel made Omri, the commander of the army king over Israel that day in the camp. Then Omri and all Israel with him went up to Gibbethon and they besieged, or went up, sorry, from Gibbethon. They besieged Tirzah and it happened when Zimri saw that the city was taken, that he went into the citadel of the king's house and burned the king's house down upon himself with fire and he died coward because of the sins which he had committed in doing evil in the sight of the Lord and walking in the ways of Jeroboam and in the sin which he had committed to make Israel sin now the rest of the acts of Zimri the treason he committed are they not written in the chronicles of the kings of Judah so Elah becomes king Zimri kills him while he's getting drunk he reigns a whole week the rest of Israel finds out what's going on. They make Omri king. They come and besiege the city with plans to kill Zimri because he had committed treason, right? Even though Elah wasn't a great king, you still shouldn't commit treason. That's a bad idea. So they come up. Zimri goes, well, this isn't going to work out, right? They've turned on me. So he goes in his house, sets it on fire, waits for the house to collapse on him, and he dies. So Zimri obviously a man of great courage kills the other king when he's drunk and instead of going to war trying to protect his throne he commits suicide verse 21 then the people of israel were divided into two parts half the people followed tibni the son of ganoth to make him king and half followed omri but the people who followed omri prevailed over the people who followed tibni the son of gimna 
Gimnath, so Timni died and Omni reigned. Right, so this is how bad the northern kingdom of God. We've already got essentially an ongoing civil war between the north and the south. There will be times of peace between them as time goes on. But here, now the north itself is at a civil war uh, as two different kings vie for the throne, uh, but Omni wins out. So in the 31st year of Asa, king of Judah, Omri becomes king over Israel, and he reigned 12 years. Six years he reigned in Tirzah, and he bought the hill of Samaria from Shemer for two talents of silver, and he built on the hill and called the name of the city which he built Samaria after the name of Shemer, owner of the hill. This is the very same Samaria that uh, Jesus met a woman at the well. Probably that well was outside the same city that he built here, Shechem. But that's a matter of conjecture because cities and names changed over time. Um, Omri did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Shocker! And he did worse than all those who were before him. Shocker! And he walked in all the ways of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and in his sin by which he had made Israel sin, provoking the Lord God of Israel to anger with their idols. Now the rest of the acts of Omri, which he did, and the might that he showed, are they not written in the chronicles of the kings of Israel? And Omri rested with his fathers and was buried in Samaria. And Ahab, his son, reigned in his place. You thought it was bad. And most of us are fairly familiar with Ahab. And Ahab takes bad and just makes it worse. Verse 29. The 38th year of Asa. So I do want you to notice here, right? Um, so far, under Asa's reign, Israel has had, um, well, there was Abijam. Then, oh, sorry, no, Abijam was in Judah. Sorry. Um, there was, this should be easy, right? There was Nadab. Then there was Basha. Then there was Elah. Then there was Zimri. Then there was Omri. And now there's Ahab, all during Asa's reign. And what was the difference? Asa did what was right in the sight of the Lord. All these other kings, not so much. So in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omri, became king over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. Now Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord. More than all those who were before him. So you've got to think, how hard do you have to try to be more evil than your father, who had done more evil than anyone before him. When his father, your grandfather, had done more evil than anyone before him. I, I mean, just how depraved were they becoming? And, and we know, and we'll see more of it, but it was just awful. And it came to pass, as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took his wife, Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and he went and served Baal and worshipped him. Then he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria, and Ahab made a wooden image. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. So up to this point, and I, I stopped on purpose, 34 gets his, a little bit special attention. Up to this point, they were not worshipping Baal. They were worshipping Molech. They were worshipping Ashtoreth. Um, and, and other various ones, Ahab brought Baal in. And Baal, or we like to call him Baal because it's easier to pronounce, but it's, it's actually pronounced Baal, um, was literally Satan worship. Comes from Baalzebub, 
right? And that is another name given for Satan. It's literally Satan worship. And right, just in case it wasn't bad enough, he married this woman Jezebel, which led him to worship this false god, which led Israel to worship this false god. And we'll get more on Ahab a little bit. Uh, well, really next week, but later on. Now, verse 34. I love verse 34. Because verse 34 brings up something that we haven't thought about in our study through the scriptures since we were in Joshua, which was like a year and a half ago or two years ago at this point. Verse 34. In his days, Hiel of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundation with Abiram, his firstborn, and with his youngest son, Segub, he set up its gates, according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through Joshua, the son of Nun. So after the destruction of Jericho, way back in Joshua chapter 6, Joshua charged them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who raises up and builds this city, Jericho. He shall lay its foundation with his firstborn, and with his youngest he shall set up its gates. Here that prophecy is fulfilled over 500 years later. We've seen multiple prophecies fulfilled this week. And we talked about on Sunday, we're going to talk about more on this coming Sunday and next week. Um, the fulfillment of prophecy is wonderful proof of the truth of God's word. Now, most of us, right, when you go back and you look at Joshua, we think of Joshua as a great military leader. We look at Joshua as a, a, a leader over uh, the nation of Israel, uh, succeeding Moses. We don't often think of Joshua as a prophet, but he is. It's just not something we normally think of. Next week, we're going to see how God will continue to try and speak to the nation through the prophets uh, because we're going to be introduced to the first and most powerful of these prophets in Elijah, who is not only important to the nation of Israel, but we know is important to the return of Jesus Christ, which, again, we talked about on Sunday, and we're going to be talking about this coming Sunday as well. What we see here, and what we will continue to see, is that human beings are incapable of ruling themselves. James 1.20 says, The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And the history of mankind has shown us over and over again that when human beings get power, in order to keep that power, they become, or typically become corrupt. And though that cycle has repeated itself throughout the history of humanity, not just the history of Israel, but the history of humanity, we keep trying, don't we? There's only one solution. And that is, Jesus ruling over our hearts as individuals and collectively as the church. And eventually, he will, of course, rule over everything. Uh, he already does, but eventually it will become known to everybody. Romans 6, 12 through 14 tells us this. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. We surrender ourselves to God, 
because that's the only way things are going to go well. And if we compare King Asa to all the, the, the numbskulls up north, that seems pretty clear. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the lessons we get taught in your word. God, I pray that we would take them to heart. I pray that you would help us to trust you when we don't understand. I pray that you would help us to walk in your ways, even when it doesn't make sense, and even when everything around us is trying to convince us to do otherwise. I pray that we would have a testimony like David, like Asa, that when it comes to the end of our lives, people would be able to look back and say that we did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Starting with our receiving Christ as Savior and continuing as we surrender our lives to you as opposed to sin. Be with us the rest of our week. May you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.